0: Thanks for praying during our time of prayer, guys. It was wonderful to pray with you guys. We've had a Thursday night prayer meeting going on. I don't think it made announcements this week, but Thursday nights we meet at 7 uh, here at the church uh, to pray, and we've been doing that most of the summer and uh, we've been crying out to the Lord. And we've seen um, incredible, miraculous things happen due to this prayer meeting. Amen. We've had, like, two people get healed of different things. We've prayed for people. We've had people get saved that we've been praying for. Uh, we've had marriages restored and, and healed. and It's been pretty amazing. So never, ever, ever underestimate that God wants to partner with you through prayer. And he's, he's just waiting to help us and engage with us. And it, it, he just is there saying, come to me. And I will do great and mighty things which you have not seen. If you not even heard of, I'll do it for you. Um, I've been greatly blessed this week by hearing about what God's seen, what God has done for us that is truly supernatural and miraculous. So with that said, let's say a quick prayer for our time in the Word today. Father, we um, trust you that you have something very special for us. And Lord, I hope that you would just heal maybe some really... um, sick parts of our heart this morning, some parts of our heart that we have held and covered with our hands or just not been comfortable to reveal to you, to open up to you. I pray that you would search us out with the gentleness of the dove of your Holy Spirit, just like a dove, Lord, that you would, you would gently open up the areas that need a cleansing wash of your Holy Spirit with the word, the water of the word. And we ask that you would do this faithfully in your name. Amen. Today's Bible study is how to think about hypocrites. Hypocrites. You guys love hip- hypocrites? No. Everyone hates hypocrites, right? It's tough when, we, when we're dealing with people in the world because they, they observe people in the church that don't act like they love God and they say, I hate everyone in the church because they're full of hypocrites. And it's true. Many people in the church are hypocrites. And so we need to figure out what the Lord says about how to think about these hypocrites. And furthermore, how to not be a hypocrite ourselves. We can't control the fact that there's crazy churches all around us. And people who think they know God and people who think they're walking with God. And they don't. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not living their lives to honor God. And the world sees them before they see us. And so we have to to really think rightly about this because it can get overwhelming. It can feel like, well, what does it matter if I do what's right if all these hypocrites out there are giving Christians a bad name? So let's look at the Word of God, chapter 3, verse 15 of Philippians, and uh, let's tackle this subject. Therefore... Let us, as many who are are mature, have this mind. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree to which you have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern for many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. All right, so let's dig in. Read verse 15 again. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. We've been, uh, we titled this entire series, How to Think. And here we have one of these central verses about thinking. And what he says here, he refers back to the great lesson that we learned of the last two weeks. And over the last two weeks, we learned about the supremacy of knowing God and the importance of striving to know him more. That nothing matters except knowing God. Everything else Paul said is trash. Everything else except that real relationship with God is trash. And striving to know him more, we learned last week, was done in three areas, three streams that combine into one river of knowing God. And what were those three streams, those three areas, those three ways that we can know God? The first one was the power of his resurrection or living a resurrection life, a life that is born again, a life that has Jesus living inside you. The second was the fellowship of suffering. The second way we really get to know God is when we suffer and go through those difficult things in life. And the third way was being conformed to his death. Those are the three ways we get to know God. That new life in us the, the constant suffering and trials that we go through. And then when those trials get so great that we feel like it's killing us, we get to that point where we die to every hope that we had of being self-sufficient. That is being conformed to his death. Jesus had to, had to come to that point in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, I, there is nothing I can do. Father, I place myself completely in your hands. I surrender myself completely to your will. I cannot do anything to get myself out of this. Your will is this, and I will trust you, even if it leads to my destruction. And that is the greatest level of knowing God, is when we surrender our lives to him and his will. Paul says that maturity is only developed through this relationship that I just described. Maturity as a Christian does not come with age. It comes through resurrection life, suffering, and being conformed to his death. Maturity does not come through trying harder. It comes as God works in us. Anyone who tells you that you can develop or mature without humble dependence on God is lying. Anyone who says you say these certain prayers, anyone who says you do these certain things, They are not being honest about what the Word of God says. The Word of God says maturity is done to you. It happens in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who turns your attention away from Jesus is themselves immature. Immature. Like a child who thinks they know what's best for themselves. Wow, that antifreeze is so pretty green. I'm going to chug it. What is going to be the end of that situation? Not maturity, death. Not growth, death. And anyone who says, I can grow as a person apart from dependence on Jesus Christ is doing the same thing. The result will be death. Paul does trust that God will do the work of revealing this to his children. If you think you can grow and thrive as a Christian apart from trusting God, God, Paul says, is going to wake you up to the truth by giving you trials that you cannot handle. Anyone ever experience a trial that's just like over their head? Why would God do this? Well, when we go through trials, we either turn to the Lord with our mind and our heart, or we turn away from him to something else. And so it's really easy to judge where your maturity lies. How are you doing in your Christian life? Let's wait until something horrible happens to you and then see what you choose to turn to. If you choose to fall to your knees and pray, to say, Lord, I trust you, then you have really made some progress in your, relation, in your walk with Jesus, in your relationship with God. If you say, wow, I've really got to figure this out. Wow, I need to work harder. Maybe I can pull a double. Maybe I can, I can try a bit harder. Maybe if I get some more people on my side. Maybe if I have this person come and join me. Maybe if I just hide from my troubles. Maybe All these different ways that our mind can turn to other things besides Jesus. It's really easy to turn to Jesus every single one of you is one little look away from turning to Jesus. This reminds me of the story back when Moses was leading the children of Israel back out of Egypt and then they started to grumble and so God says, well, I'm going to send you snakes. Why would he do such a thing? And these are poisonous snakes and they bit the people and the people started dying. And you're like, why would God send poisonous snakes into their life to show them what was going on? to show them that God was there and he was willing to be their healer. So the people cried out to God, which was a good thing. And they turned to Moses and Moses cried to the Lord, tell us what we need to do to be saved. And Moses came to the Lord and the Lord said, okay, here's what you do, Moses. Take the snake, make a bronze snake and, and put it up on a pole and place it up in the middle of the camp. And anyone who looks to, on the, snake, looks to the snake will be saved and healed instantly. And it's a perfect picture of our lives following Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh, trials have come. It's even from the Lord, these poisonous snakes. Who do you turn to? Jesus said in John 3, 14, As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Why would he liken himself to that snake? Because a snake reminds you of what? Sin right? That snake was involved at the first sin. He's been slithering his way through the Bible, through our lives. It's always a snake, right? And so when sin is lifted up and put on a tree, a piece of wood, a cross, when it's nailed to a cross and you look at that sin nailed to a cross, God says, you're healed. Just come to me, look to me, and you'll be healed. When we go through our trials, we either look to the Lord or we look to something else. What happened to all the people who refused to just look at the snake? They swelled up and died. They died. There was nothing else that could heal them. Well, how did a snake heal them? I don't know. By faith. How does Jesus heal you? I don't even know all the times. He just does it. He's able to do it by faith when we look to him and we can't be healed any other way so all of us have these little hurts in our heart these these wounds that we're struggling with and there is only one healing it is jesus christ proverbs 3 5 and 6 is one of many of our favorite verses as we think about it it says trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding understanding But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So our mind is either deciding to trust God completely or to lean on our own understanding. But if we decide to trust God and his word completely, even if it says something that I don't agree with, he says he's going to direct your paths. He's going to bring healing. He's going to give grace. He's going to give you what you need. If you'll look to his word and call upon him, John 7, 17 is another verse I'll bring up at this point. It says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. So God is able to and willing to help us understand the way things work, he says. His only requirement is that you will to do his will. That you desire to not get your plan done, but to see his plan done. Not your kingdom come, but his kingdom come. If you want to know how things really work, pick up your cross and follow Jesus to death, and your heart will be filled with direction and understanding. Oh, I'm so confused about my life. I have so much... Darkness, I don't know where I'm going. I feel like I'm always bumping into things. I feel like I'm lost. There is one biblical solution to that. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Die to yourself and you'll have direction, God says. You'll have understanding. If you will to know his will, you'll know concerning the doctrine, Jesus said. So many believers lack direction and understanding. What's happening, they say. I don't understand what's going on in my life pick up your cross and follow Jesus and these questions will be answered but not with words but with an unmistakable undeniable assurance in the heart and you may not even be able to describe it to people why why are you so different last week you were freaking out about everything in your life this week you're at peace and you're like I don't know I turned to the Lord I said Lord I'm going to follow you and now it's just I just have this peace. That's how God teaches, with a peace that passes understanding. So when people come to me and they like, I don't understand my life, I, I, I may try to give them an answer or two, but most of the time I will exhort them and encourage them to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. And I won't try to give them answers. And it's really freeing. When I did the radio show, people call in with the craziest stuff all the time, and I, I was, it was pretty easy to just say, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Let's lift our eyes to Jesus. Let's trust him and follow him and do what we know is right. I know your spouse is totally crazy and they're sinning. Your kids are crazy and your job is nuts. I, I understand all that. I don't know how to fix it all. But I do know that if you love, follow Jesus Christ, pick up your cross, there will be peace in your life. God will be fighting for you. So we can do that always, no matter what the trial is in our life. Verse 16 in Philippians. Nevertheless, to the degree to which we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. This refers back to that discussion Paul had with us last week about uh, where he explained how to grow and know the Lord deeper. So he's saying as we progress in a life of humble dependence we attain life in the middle of this dead world. We attain life. We are surrounded and even infected in our own lives with death. Yet God gives us life as we trust and come to him daily. And Paul says that our walking and our thinking are very related. They're very connected. He, he, he just naturally flows from the way we think to the way we walk, and then now he's saying back to thinking. It's very connected to him. So he says, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So if we want to grow in our walk, which all of us do, Living a life of sacrifice to God, being that living sacrifice, then then we need to keep our mind focused on the life that Jesus offers and not on our own life. So many times we are just distracted by what we want. Our walk will grow. And it's funny because it's not at the speed that we would choose, but it's at the speed that God decides he's the gardener and he seems to think a slow-growing garden is just fine. And I don't like that. I like assembly lines and factories. And God is much more content to be this gardener that allows his plants to grow and he prunes them and that's uncomfortable. And it's like, why, God? He knows what's best. It doesn't matter where you are on this journey, we could call it. Today is a day, Paul says, to move forward with Jesus. Some liberal churches and ministries are very much about this word journey. And what they do is is they just want to walk with you on your spiritual path until we all just you know figure it out on our own. Until you just try out everything you need to. Paul, he is the opposite of that. He says there's one journey, and it's to know Jesus Christ. And anything that distracts you from that is trash. It's supposed to be flushed down the toilet. Anything. And so it's not like how these churches today incorporate um, meditation or worldly psychology or even other religious ideas. It's not okay. Paul says there's one life, and it's in Jesus. Paul would die if he heard some of the doctrine that's out in these churches today. That's not how Paul did things. He showed people how to think. That's like offensive to us in America. You what do you mean you're going to tell me how to think? You don't know me. You don't own me. What are you telling me? You know better than me how I should live my life. Paul did. He told you should think like this. Walk in humility and faith. He showed them the path to walk on because he knew the truth and he was walking with a life that was different than what this world had. It's not out of arrogance that we say this is the way, the truth, and the life. It's out of love. A a doctor who sees someone that has cancer and tells them, oh, you're fine, and doesn't tell them the, the medical solutions, the way to walk, the way to think in this trial that they're in, it's this disease that they have, that doctor would be kicked out of, of medical medicine for malpractice in a second. And yet that's how the world wants to treat Christians. Oh, I, we don't need you to tell us about how to live life, how to think. Paul says, no, I'm going to tell you how you can think right so that you can have the same life that I have. Because I love you. I care about you. It's not arrogant to believe you know the truth. It's not arrogant to believe the promises of God. And to believe the promises of God is not intolerance. It's truth. It is life to know and walk with Jesus. Anything else is death. Jesus is the only solution, the only medicine for sin. Anything that is not humble dependence on Jesus is part of the problem, part of the sin. And so, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, that's offensive to the world. And I can understand why. I really, I get it. But what we preach and what we teach is that the, uh, there is a journey If it's to know Jesus and walk with him, that's cool. Talk about that. Push that all you want. If it's to find out what works for you, Paul would call that trash. Now he says in verse 17, back in Philippians 3, Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So how should we minister to people By example, Paul says, by pattern, live a life that humbly trusts Jesus. This is not hypocrites, right? What do hypocrites do? They say one thing and they do another. A mind that thinks rightly says, I can't do anything. Jesus does everything, so I cling to him in all things. I can't do anything. But Jesus can do everything, so I cling to him in all things. This is the opposite of how a hypocrite thinks. A hypocrite, the definition, it comes from a word that means one who wears a mask, right? But there's no need to wear a mask when you're only confessing your need and weakness and asking to receive grace from God. It's a life of humility. So we don't have to wear a mask. We say freely, I am horrible. I don't have it in me. But I confess my need to God and he meets my need, I trust, with his grace. It's our joy to be weak and broken because God's strength is made perfect in weakness. I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago about a uh, chronic weakness that they had. And they were like, why would God give me this so-and-so weakness this thing and i I, I shared with them i said maybe this is the gift that god has given you (gasps) what how could how could god how could this be a good thing in any way and i said well are you constantly aware of your weakness well yeah i mean this is just something i deal with every day then good Because now it's easier for you to call out to the Lord because you are conscious of your weakness. The person who is out there, who is totally self-sufficient, they have a good family, a good life, they don't have any physical dependencies, they're okay, it's hard for that person to realize they need a Savior. The people who grew up, maybe even in a Christian home, maybe even knowing there's truth out there, and I believe the truth, But if they don't have a real internal knowledge of their guilt, a feeling that I am guilty before a holy God, it is going to be more difficult for them to call out to God because they don't feel it. They don't feel it. But people who struggle daily with weakness and need and brokenness, those people have this just a leg up, a a better opportunity almost to call out to the Lord in just total dependence and say, I need you so much, and I know how weak I am. A true follower of Jesus just has a new life given to them by a living and powerful relationship with the person of Jesus. You know, I just look to Jesus, who's the Word, and receive his life through the Holy Spirit. A hypocrite claims to have that same life by their efforts. How did you accomplish this? Or, how are you going to change and be a better Christian? Well, I I just did it. Or, I I really just got down to business. I decided I was going to make a change in my life. Or, I found this 10-step program. Each of these man-centered responses hides the truth that their heart didn't change because men cannot change their own hearts the bible says it like circumcision how can you circumcise your own heart it has to be a work of the holy spirit they cannot stop being a sinner on their in their inner man they say one thing but they do another because they're not really different the world hates hypocrites and i see why and i agree with them and they're easy to spot. Paul teaches us how to spot them right here in verse 18. Look at this. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind, mind on earthly things. Hypocrites have a very clear way of thinking They set their mind on earthly things as opposed to what? Heavenly things. The heavenly call that Paul talked about last week was a call to a relationship with God where Jesus says, come follow me. And a hypocrite, they don't care about that call. The relationship with God is not the most important thing. The most important thing to them is how they look in front of other people. Their plan is, I follow my thoughts, my opinions, the way I see it. And Paul says they're enemies of the cross. It's not that they don't like Jesus, but they will not surrender to the way of the cross. So in a war, you're either fighting or you're surrendering, or you're dead, I guess anything that requires a hypocrite to admit weakness or failure or need is what they hate because they've been taught there is no other way than give me your best effort and most of the time they were taught by their legal, legal, legalistic parents most of the time they were taught by their legalistic parents and their parents didn't do it intentionally And they didn't want to create these hypocrite kids. But they were like, do this, do this, always do what's right, always do what's right. And they never taught them grace. They never showed them real, deep love. And so their child grew up thinking that that's what God wanted. Just give me what's right all the time. What is the call? The heavenly call? Come, follow me, relationship, bring me your weakness, come to me in your In your weakness and I will take care of you. I will be your father. I will be all that you need. They hate humility because they don't know the way of faith. Hypocrites, legalists, they don't understand that God desires love and relationship first. Before he desires performance. So, how to think about hypocrites? He gives us three ways right here. Number one, their end is destruction. It's not going to work out for them. It's a disease with a 100 percent mortality rate. And so how would you meet some How would you treat someone who had a horrible disease and was going to die? Be merciful. Be loving. Don't be a jerk to hypocrites. They have a disease that is going to end in their death. Call them with the heavenly call to relationship. So you might say, "Oh, I know all these hypocrites, and I'm just never going to talk to them again. Those jerks. I hear it all the time. I'm now. Oh, those. I just. They make me so mad. Those hypocrites. Okay. Well." Those cancer patients, I'm never going to talk to them again. Always losing their hair, always going to their, ugh, admitting their weakness, just, ugh. That would be like the most jerky person in the entire world, right? Yet, somehow, in our world, in this city, that's the accepted behavior for dealing with hypocrites. Not according to God's word. God would say, love them. They are weak, they are not free, they are bound in chains. Minister to them. Invite them with the heavenly call to follow Jesus. Second thing we know, and how to think about hypocrites, is their God is their belly. That means they are devoted to pleasing their flesh. They're committed to fulfilling their desires. Surrendering sin is not an option for them. The whole point of their life is to do what they want and to get what they want. Giving, sharing, and pouring out their life in service to God and to others is not appealing. They might do it, but it's a burden to them and not from the heart. It's a works thing. And so our ministry to them is to love them and invite them with the heavenly call to a relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants to be your God. I invite you. To surrender to him. Instead of surrendering to your belly, sure. surrender to God. Third thing we learn. Whose glory is in their shame, Paul said. The things they're proud of are things they really should be ashamed of. They think that their efforts look great. They go to church and they think, Look I'm, how good I'm doing. I look better than them. They think their ministries are so neat and accepting. But they should really be ashamed of how they reject real relationship with Jesus in favor of man-centered religion. So, again, how do we minister to a person who's a hypocrite? Invite them to a relationship-based religion where they have to come to Jesus daily where they have to read his word, to hear his voice, to receive his spirit. Not performance-based. We don't say, you know what would fix your hypocrisy? Doing what's right. That is going to make them ten times more a hypocrite. No one can do what's right, and you certainly can't. So call upon the name of the Lord and trust his grace to do that work. Verse 20. This is amazing. Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The contrast he's making is so clear. They, hypocrites, look at earth, we look at heaven. He's contrasting hypocrites with the real deal. Real followers of Jesus are citizens of heaven. They trust in self, we wait for a Savior. They identify with earth and the powers of earth with efforts and abilities and strategies while we identify with heaven. We are members of a person. We are his body, his kingdom. With his will and his power are our song. They become earth's, They became earth citizens by what? Birth. What made them a citizen of earth? They were born here. We become heaven citizens by second birth, being reborn, being born again by faith. Two different ways of living life. They are a car carrying member of the sons of Adam, living by what they have inside them, by what we have inside us. We have a different life. We are citizens of heaven. We are sons and daughters of God living by the power and life of the Holy Spirit that descends from where? Heaven. We are equipped and enabled by the new covenant to do God's will. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to see two verses in 2 Corinthians that are really going to put this all in a real nice package for us. This new covenant citizens of heaven 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 This is really the key to avoid hypocrisy to dealing with hypocrisy He says not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient As ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So, being a citizen of heaven means you are given access to this new covenant. It's a new way of relating to God where He does the work of changing us and we simply look to Him in humility and faith. Remember the snake? those who looked to the snake would be saved. Well, in our case, we're saved, but we're also changed. Now, now skip down to verse 18, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. He says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Hypocrites are not being transformed. What, what are we looking for? We were re, the real thing is that we're being transformed by beholding the Lord as in a mirror. And where do you think that mirror is? The Bible. Spending time with him, praying to him, will get you on this changing process called transformation. It happens when we look at Jesus, when we behold him. As our mind learns to trust and to follow him, he transforms us. That's the new covenant in a nutshell. Now, back in Philippians, verse 21. We're going to see that this all connects so beautifully, his words here. Verse 21 of chapter 3 of Philippians who will transform we're citizens of heaven and it says god who will transform our lowly body that it might be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself paul said we wait for jesus we wait for him. He is our savior. We wait on him. And as we're waiting for him, he is working. He is transforming us. That's his job. Your job is waiting. His job is transforming. Your job is looking and trusting. His job is gracefully changing us. He transforms us. That's his job. It's his task. It's his ministry. And it says here, he is able to do it. No matter how messed up you are, no matter how corrupted I am, there is a working power Jesus has to transform the lives and to transform our lives to look like his life. And it's amazing. It's called the Holy Spirit. That's this power. What problem do you have that Jesus is not able to subdue? And when I think of the word subdue, I think of a lion, like I went we went to the Barnum and Bailey circus last year with the boys, and that you know, the guy sticks his head in the lion's mouth. And I'm like, You are insane. That's a wild beast. And he will eat you. But that lion had been subdued. It was crazy. It was it was remarkable. What problem do you have that Jesus is not able to subdue? Nothing. Every problem is solved in Jesus. I don't care what your problem is, even spiritual problems. Even things Satan tempts us with, even things we think we can't live without. How do we overcome temptation? We come to Jesus and ask him and trust him to transform us and subdue our rebellion. Because when we sin, we're just joining in rebellion. We're surrendering to Satan's side that says, we rebel against God and in the war, there's only two sides. You're fighting with Satan or you're surrendering to God. He is able to do the subduing. He gives us the heart that wants to live a pure life. Then he actually gives us the power to live that pure life. He gives that transformation power. He doesn't give it all at one time because we must learn how to live as a dependent child with our Heavenly Father. So He's not expecting you to live a perfect life from day one and never sin again. He's okay with your struggles as long as you're okay coming to Him over and over and over i I got a text from a guy last week and he said i keep falling i keep struggling i keep struggling when is god done with me and i said when you stop coming to him when you stop running back to him you're sunk just keep running back there's always an open arm there's always resources spiritually for you just keep running back to him that means that our security Our assurance that we're saved is not in our performance. It cannot be, which is awesome, because I am terrible at performing. But it's in relationship. That's where our security is found. And some of us need more security than others. Some of you, because of your psychological makeup, you need to know that you know that you know that you're saved. Others of us are like, I believe, I know I'm saved, and that's fine. That's cool. That is true. But some of you need to know, and so God says, All right, I can understand that. But I will not let you trust in your performance. It has to be relationship. So test yourself by this. Where do you turn when the trials come? Who do you pray to? Who do you seek? God is much more concerned with relationship with him as our Father than us achieving some sort of a success with our behavior. Because guess what? He already sees that he's going to fix everything in your life. He already sees the glory that's coming to you. You're already seated in the, he- in the heavenlies. He's teaching us to abide in him. He says this, Abide in me, and I in you, and you will what? Bear much fruit. So Jesus is able to subdue all things, and that's great. I want to see that. It would be exciting to walk around with victory all the time, and it would. But we can't forget the relationship. We can't make it all about holy, living holy lives and doing things for Jesus. Are they important? Yes. Are you a fake and a fraud if they're not seen in your life? Yes. But the development of these fruits and actions is clearly explained as a byproduct of personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the hypocrites don't get. That's the key. Luke ten twenty. Nevertheless, I do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Paul contrasted the hypocrites with us being citizens of heaven. Here we see Jesus wants us to keep close to him even if you have success. He says it has to be about relationship, about a humble, dependent relationship. Success, he says, can be dangerous to a Christian, especially for a believer. When we think that we've finally gotten over the hump, we tend to forget our deep bankruptcy of spiritual resources. And we're like, hey, I finally made it. I don't need to read my Bible today. We start to neglect our prayer and Bible reading. We we start to not feel the deep, real, desperate need for Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Worship becomes a job. Church becomes dry. Bible reading becomes boring. And what's the fix for all this? Humility. Jesus says, He's not afraid or embarrassed by your weakness or your brokenness. He's drawn to it. He says, I give grace to the humble. We we think we should be over this by now. We should have figured it out by now. Why are you still struggling with that sin? But Jesus says, I've freed you from the law. He doesn't place these expectations on you. You are doing it to yourself. And yet the law, it does a great job all by itself of convicting us of our sin without you adding to it, without you doing it. It keeps screaming about our failures in our faces and it forces us to admit our need for a savior. It's great at doing its job. Yet Jesus, he invites us in. He gives his life through the Holy Spirit so that we actually fulfill the law when we walk in the Spirit. Or, you could say, when we live a life of humble dependence on a loving Father and His promises and supply and promises to meet all our needs through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 3, 4 says, What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Jesus asked us to rejoice that your name was written in heaven, with your, that your relationship with heaven was real. And that's how Paul started this chapter. Do you remember all the way back in verse one of Philippians? He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but it is safe. So what Paul's saying is that it's our relationship with God and his work. It's our agreement and his power. It's our rejoicing and his transforming. It's our yielding and his giving. It's our accepting and his works. It's our faith and his promises. It's our believing that he does it all. The framework for a true relationship with God is seen here. He supplies, we receive. Isn't that what Jesus said? He just wants to be your father, guys. You want to know how to pray? Don't pray, almighty God. Pray, father. Learn that he's your heavenly father. Is that how you are living today? Is a continual flow of the spirit and spiritual resources from your loving father flowing into your heart and then out to the people of your life? That's the real deal. If not, you are a hypocrite. Plain and simple. You are the one who needs to repent. And Jesus still offers this life. This new covenant is still valid today. The Father is still inviting you to draw near to receive his grace and power. The call is going out to all of us and saying, Come, follow me. Not lukewarm, all the way. Humble dependency, all the time. Amen? We're done. I was, was heavy. <laughs> Would you guys stand with me? We're going to sing a song real quick. We got communion available. So, during the song, as you're seeking the Lord and as you're thinking about all the things that were just said, and as you're deciding whether you've been faking it or if you're really trusting the Lord, if you've been faking it, then just repent. Just call out to Him and say, I'm sorry. And I need you. And I will humbly depend on you. Ask him for his Holy Spirit. And if you are thinking about it and you're like, hey, man, I totally do trust the Lord. I totally do follow him. And man, come and take communion and remember that it's all about him. It's all about his life given for you and his body being broken for you. And it's a wonderful thing we do that encourages us so much. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great love that you gave us when you died on the cross. And Lord, I just pray that right now you would solidify all the things you're doing spiritually in our hearts. I pray that today would be the end of rebellion for many people. Lord, that we would joyfully surrender and say, I'm not going to fight you anymore, God. I'm going to glorify you with my life. I'm done seeking my own way. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to stop trusting in myself. I'm going to stop trusting this snake that taught me that my way could be as valid as your word. Lord, I come totally to you. I throw myself upon you and ask for your mercy and your grace, Lord. and. I just thank you that you're just so willing to receive me back. Your arms are open wide. You're calling out, my son, come back to me. My daughter, I love you.